This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLite. Artist studios, exhibition space, and more. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. I often share the story of my experiences with art and art making from when I was a kid. And by my experiences, I mean, I hardly had any, with the exception of one pretty terrible art teacher when I was in middle school. That art teacher was so bad, so demanding, that she took all the fun out of art. And for me, someone who wasn't already all that invested in art, that was a big deal. It turned me off of art even further than I already was, and that intensely negative feeling stayed with me for almost a decade, all the way until I found myself, against my hopes, in my very first art history class in college. The gist of this story is one that I think many of us can understand, that a person, like an art teacher, can pass through our lives, or it's an event, however fleeting, that occurs, but then the ramifications of that person or that event can last for a long while, even decades. Throw an important element into the mix, like a relationship, whether it be professional, platonic, romantic, more, and suddenly the stakes are that much higher. Relationships don't always last, until they do, if they do at all. But the ramifications of those relationships, they can change you. And in some cases, they can also affect the course of the history of art itself. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Art Curious Season 13 is all about modern love. And today we're homing in on the love affairs of Robert Rauschenberg, moving from Cy Twombly and on to Jasper Johns, a series of relationships that may have lasted only briefly, but whose effects on modern art are still felt today. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. I'm starting our story today not with Robert Rauschenberg, but with Cy Twombly. Edwin Parker Twombly Jr., who went by the nickname of Cy, like his father before him, was born in 1928 in Lexington, Virginia. His dad, Cy Sr., had been a picture for the Chicago White Sox, and his nickname, and subsequently his son's nickname, was an homage to Cy Young, another great American pitcher. Little Cy Twombly, though, didn't follow in his dad's footsteps into the major leagues. Instead, after graduating high school in 1947, Cy moved to Boston to attend the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, where he stayed for two years, growing interested first and foremost in the art of the Surrealists and the Dadaists. 
but that wasn't his initial influence for long. In 1950, Twombly moved to New York City and began to study at the famed Art Students League. Suddenly exposed to so many new artists, so many new ideas and directions, especially when it came to abstraction, it's no wonder that Twombly's own aesthetic began to change. The Art Students League was a turning point to more than just his work. This was also where he met the one, the only, Robert Rauschenberg in the spring of 1951. Three years older and a little worldlier, Rauschenberg hailed from Port Arthur, Texas, where he was born Milton Ernest Rauschenberg in October 1925. He would later change his name to Robert in the 1940s. After dropping out of college, Rauschenberg was drafted into the U.S. Navy, a stint in which he served as a neuropsychiatric technician for at least one year. And then, after that, it was time, finally, for art. First at the Kansas City Art Institute in Missouri, and then all the way to the incredibly famous Académie Julien in Paris, before heading back to the U.S. alongside his girlfriend, artist Susan Weil, to attend dun, 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 Black Mountain College. I truly feel like Black Mountain has a great supporting role in this season, because this is the third episode now where we have talked about this one-of-a-kind place. And if that doesn't convince you of just how important this school was to the development of modern art, then we are going to have to agree to disagree, my friend. Anyway, in 1949, Rauschenberg and Weil moved to New York, where he and Weil both attended the Art Students League. By the time Cy Twombly came along, Rauschenberg and Weil had married. Their son, Christopher, would be born the following year. Cy Twombly and Robert Rauschenberg became fast friends and true parallels to one another, matching in ambition and will. Both were New York outsiders raised in the South, both excited about the burgeoning abstract expressionist movement, and were drawn to more experimental art education and, well, just experimentation in general. Not long after they met, Rauschenberg convinced Twombly that Black Mountain was the place to be. So the two of them hopped back down to North Carolina for the summer of 1951. Rauschenberg's wife, Susan Weil, was heavily pregnant, so she stayed behind in New York. And it was a truly heady time down there at Black Mountain, when changemakers not just in art, but also music and dance, like John Cage and Merce Cunningham, were teaching down there. And it was a time made even headier, because this is most likely when Rauschenberg and Twombly began having an affair. This was wonderful. And this was terrible, because Rauschenberg loved Twombly, and he also loved Susan. So when Susan visited Black Mountain to show off the couple's newborn baby, she learned about the affair between the two men. Distraught, she hightailed it back to New York with Rauschenberg, who tried to patch things up with her, but alas, it was not to be. The couple divorced in either 1952 or 1953. Even credible sources I have found seem to disagree on this one. All of this, though, left Rauschenberg free to explore his relationship with Cy Twombly. And they were about to have an incredible opportunity to do so. In 1952, Twombly won a travel grant via the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, 
which he would go on to use for an eight-month journey through Italy and down into Morocco. But he wouldn't go alone. He asked Robert Rauschenberg to join him, and Rauschenberg agreed. That's coming up next, right after this quick break. Remember that you can join us over on Patreon for a few bucks a month and get the show ad-free at patreon.com slash arcurious. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to Art Curious. If I could recommend just one article to read about Rauschenberg and Twombly's relationship, it would be a 2018 deep dive into their European and North African excursion in T, the New York Times style magazine. In it, author Tom Delavan writes that not only was this the turning point for both of the careers of these artists, but it was also the turning point for the direction of American art in the second half of the 20th century, according to Delavan. Now, that is a pretty big statement. To understand how and why this might be the case, let's get into that trip and find out what happened therein. As Delavan notes in his excellent article, The first couple of months found the two men in Palermo, Sicily, before they moved on to the Italian mainland and up to Rome. And there wasn't a lot of art to be made at this point. It was more about absorbing the place, the moments, and probably each other. So they took a lot of pictures and mostly acted the part of the tourist, since neither Twombly nor Rauschenberg had ever visited Italy before. What's curious, though? is knowing how their travels would affect the disparate directions that both artists' careers would take. Twombly became interested in the ancient surroundings, the sculptures, the symbolism of Rome, uncovering a fascination that would play out in his works throughout his long career. Later, in Tangier, Rauschenberg found inspiration in everyday items, like old shoes or a random twig, or in the unexpected combination of things, like the brightly modern spray-painted graffiti on top of an ancient ruin. Twombly began sketching prolifically, making scratchy drawings that seemed like they might mean something, like a series of hieroglyphs, perhaps. But they didn't look like they meant much on the surface. To Delavan, these sketches became what he called, quote, a kind of first draft of the artist's later painting career, unquote. For his part, Rauschenberg got really heavy into found objects, like I mentioned, and found images. And so he made collage after collage, moving forward toward what would eventually become one of his career trademarks, his so-called combines. I wonder if either man really knew that this was an important moment in their artistic lives, whether they knew that this was the sign of their new directions. Not that this new direction was a smooth one. Though, when are new directions, I guess, right? When the artists finished their Euro-African trip, they received the opportunity to show their works at a joint show at the Stable Gallery in New York City, 
run by a woman named Eleanor Ward. But it did not go well. Response from both critics and visitors was so bad, so bad, that Ward had to remove the visitor comment book from the show after many hostile commentary toward the works of art therein. Rauschenberg had additional shows that year in both Rome and Florence, where he showcased the assemblage and found images that he had created in Morocco, and those exhibitions went equally badly. It was clear that both artists had struck upon something, something new, something different, but that the viewers weren't ready for them. In retrospect, it is interesting to see some of the ways that these artists influenced each other. Some ways are really easy to spot, like the aesthetics of preferring black and white over bold color. Speaking of black and white, the early 1950s brought forth one of Rauschenberg's most acclaimed series, his so-called white paintings, which actually ended up being incredibly controversial at the time, and one which counted Cy Twombly among its creators slash collaborators. The white paintings are just as advertised. They are an array of canvases that were painted completely white. Rauschenberg requested Twombly and several other friends to paint these canvases with bright white house paint using a roller, so basically making the work as flat and nondescript as possible. Could a viewer then tell the difference between a canvas painted white by Twombly's hands? Or what about one painted by Rauschenberg's studio assistant, fellow artist Bryce Marsden? In fact, you really can't tell the difference between many of these white paintings, if at all. And that was the whole point. Rauschenberg was interested in erasing signs of the artist's hand, creating something in absolute contrast to the overwhelming individualism of things like abstract expressionist paintings. Twombly eventually would move in the opposite direction. In 1953, he was drafted into the U.S. Army, where he spent the following year as a cryptographer. In his off hours, Twombly engaged in something he called blind drawings, sitting in a dark room and allowing his pen or pencil to take the lead. Unable to see at all what he was creating, Twombly would then find himself making strangely curved and distorted forms, all done by hand. As expressionistic and individualistic as Rauschenberg's white paintings were blank slates. This would also end up being a hallmark of Twombly's works for years to come. Whether or not the timing coincided with Twombly's enlistment is a big question, but we do know one thing for certain. Rauschenberg and Twombly ended their romantic relationship later in 1953. What's wonderful, though, is that the two remained lifelong friends, even traveling together again and keeping in close touch. In 1957, Twombly, traveling again through Italy, met the Baroness Tatiana Franchetti, who was a fellow artist, and he married her two years later. Franchetti and Twombly remained, again, the closest of friends, sharing a son, Cyrus Alessandro Twombly, who was born in 1959. Both artists, Franchetti and Twombly, preferred independent lives, though, and they remained happily married but sought relationships outside of their partnership. And for his part, Twombly chose Nicola del Roscio, a young Italian man nearly 20 years his junior, to be his confidant and caretaker until his final days. But let's go back to 1953 for a second. With the end of the romance between Twombly and Rauschenberg. Later that year, 
Rauschenberg's life was shaken by a new arrival, a new love, a new challenge, a new partner. And if his relationship with Twombly had been something special, this one was even more life-changing. Because in 1953, Rauschenberg met Jasper Johns. Born in 1930 in Augusta, Georgia, Jasper Johns, the baby of our trio today, was into art when he was a kid, taking up drawing when he was still quite young, but he didn't consider art as anything more than a pastime until he reached college. At the University of South Carolina, where he enrolled in 1947, his teachers encouraged him that if art was what he wanted to do, then of course he needed to go to New York. So he did. He transferred to the Parsons School of Design in the city, but other than that, he still had no real sense of what it meant to be a working artist, especially not even how to go about it. So he dropped out. And then he was drafted during the Korean War in the early 1950s, so he let art matters slide. Art went on to the back burner as he shuffled between Florida and Japan over the next two years. But after he was honorably discharged in 1953, back to New York he went. And that's when his fortunes changed. He met Robert Rauschenberg, and it changed his life. Forever. We'll get to all that right after another break. Come right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to Art Curious. Jasper Johns and Robert Rauschenberg began their time together as friends first, hanging out casually before starting a romantic relationship in 1954. The relationship was not only a formidable one on a personal level, but, for Johns especially, became a hugely important professional one. Though Rauschenberg hadn't met yet with major artistic success, he was still wonderfully connected within the art world and beyond, and thus the associations and arrangements that he made for Jasper Johns were priceless. Rauschenberg introduced Johns to Leo Castelli, his gallerist. He introduced him to his pals Merce Cunningham and John Cage, and Cage, by the way, delightfully deemed the pair of them the Southern Renaissance for their shared geographic history and their artsy experimentation. A designation that, by the way, seems like it could have just as easily applied to Rauschenberg's partnership with Cy Twombly, but I digress. Inspired by Cage's ideas of chance encounters, Johns, like Rauschenberg, and like many others during this period, 
adopted something more akin to Dada and Surrealism, movements of the early 20th century, than that mid-century favorite, Abstract Expressionism. About this shift, Rauschenberg later proclaimed, quote, Jasper and I used to start each day by having to move out from Abstract Expressionism. We became the only people who were not intoxicated with it, unquote. But surrealist and Dada experiments, the kind that were in vogue only a couple of decades prior, Johns and Rauschenberg were intoxicated by those. A random assortment of items could become a collage, an assemblage, Johns learned. As Rauschenberg began exploring his concept of combines further, Johns did so too. And I have to say, by no means was he shy about admitting this. In 1955, Johns and Rauschenberg had moved into the same building, occupying artist studios right atop one another. This proximity meant that the two men flitted back and forth between their two studios, watching one another work, challenging each other, and coming up with ideas together. As Johns noted to Rauschenberg's biographer, Calvin Tompkins later, quote, We were very close and considerate of one another, and for a number of years, we were each other's main audience. I was allowed to question what he did, and he could question what I did." Unquote. One wonders how much of an effect Rauschenberg's history-making work from 1955, titled Bed, had on Jasper Johns. I'd have to think that considering the timing and their professional and personal links, that this work of art would have been rather significant. It is hard sometimes to explain the importance of works like Bed to someone new to the art world because it seems really simple on the surface, just as abstract expressionist works sometimes also seem simple on the surface. And simple, by the way, is often viewed as synonymous with shallow or unimportant. But not so here. Bed actually isn't a bed. It's an approximation of one, a kind of a visual joke. Comprised mainly of a large wall-mounted piece of wood, Rauschenberg then attached a quilt, sheets, and a pillow to the wooden support before splashing it all with paint and scrawling ink across its surface. A scrawl, by the way, that many art historians have noted as strikingly similar to Cy Twombly's style. It's like a perfect mix of Rauschenberg's combines and a sly knowing wink to Abex painting, all with a sense of humor. This would go on to become a sensation, and it still is one of those big moments in modern art pieces. It is both a sculpture and a painting, and it lives also in this middle realm between pop and abstraction. It's an intimate self-portrait of a sort of the artist, a work bearing his own bedding, without actually showing the artist's face. It's what it seems, and yet so much more than it seems. Some of the artists we've covered thus far during this modern love season of Art Curious lived in that gorgeous, happily ever after fairy tale. Or at least they stayed committed to one another in some form for years and years. I'm thinking especially of people like Jacob Lawrence and Gwendolyn Knight, and of Annie and Joseph Albers. But in an age where same-sex marriage was decades away from legalization and widespread acceptance, an official on-paper relationship between Rauschenberg and Twombly was out of the question, and the same goes for Jasper Johns. So we aren't to expect that kind of pat and maybe even infantilizing happy ending here. 
But unfortunately, we also don't get a cheery long-term partnership in this case either. And some of that might have to do with Jasper Johns's rising star. In 1957, the artist had a banner year, an explosion of sales and publicity stemming from a one-two punch of landing the cover of Art News magazine, which is still one of the top art magazines in the U.S., and the purchase of three of his works by the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA. While this was incredibly great news, it seems like it may have come to Johns as a bit of a surprise, and as a bit of a surprise to Rauschenberg. The story goes that these events led to tension between the two men, and that over the next year, they gradually moved further and further away emotionally from one another. By 1959, the men only saw each other intermittently, and by 1960, their romantic pairing was also over. We don't know much about the end of the relationship between Rauschenberg and Johns, as both men were understandably wary about discussing it. Again, see my previous notes about the lack of support for same-sex relationships at the time. But what we do know is that the end, in whatever form it took, was intense and rocky. Both of them, though, did have their work to fall back upon. Johns' style, moving toward what we would now describe as pop art, began to be defined by a bright and colorful palette. His most famous series, known as his Flag series, presents your typical American flag that, just like bed, is anything but what you might expect right off the bat. Take Flag from around 1955, the same year as bed and both now in the collection at MoMA. Flag trades in the everyday, a concept that we as Americans see all the time. The flag that represents so much, like liberty, a love of country, and also more complicated feelings, too. As curators of MoMA have noted, the flag could also represent McCarthyism and the so-called Red Scare of the 1950s, spurred on by the fear of communism. It is also a reminder of war, first the Korean War, and then later of Vietnam. Each of Jasper Johns's flag works are a little different. Some are scraped with palette knives, some have the flag itself almost barely visible. But each time, there is an ambiguity there, leading to maybe an interpretation or an understanding that is different for each of us every time. And that ambiguity is one of the greatest things, I think, about a Jasper John work. It is interesting to note, by the way, that one of Johns's first flags had a backing made out of a cut piece of bedsheet. So yeah, I think I'll go ahead and answer my own question. I think we can point to ways in which Jasper Johns received inspiration both directly and indirectly from his lover, Robert Rauschenberg. For Rauschenberg, he of course did find his way into the art history textbooks with bed and with his other combines taking precedent. These works, like those of Jasper Johns, also traffic in the ambiguous. He created sculptural pieces that are at once highly personal, like bed, but also keep the viewers at a distance. There is a coolness in his works. And I don't really mean that negatively. I simply mean that he invites us in as viewers, but also holds us back from truly understanding the artist behind those works. And that was just fine with him. Rauschenberg worked steadily throughout his career, enjoying several career highs. 
He continued to collaborate with his lifelong friends, Merce Cunningham and John Cage, and he spent an entire summer working alongside the wonderful French artist, Nicky de Saint-Fal. And he carried on spending time with his equally great friend, Cy Twombly. And like Twombly, Rauschenberg spent the rest of his life with a long-term partner, the artist Daryl Potorf. Admittedly, it took Cy Twombly a little longer than Johns and Rauschenberg to reach that big-name status. But he did get there. In T, the New York Times magazine, Tom Delavan hypothesizes that Twombly suffered from a bias in the mid-1960s that prioritized macho counterculture and definitely anti-war men. And Twombly was not that. When he was profiled in an article for Vogue magazine in 1966, he came across as what Delavan calls, quote, a charmed expatriate with a wealthy wife. He was effete, anti-American, and worse, unmodern, unquote. He just wasn't edgy and cool the way that Johns and Rauschenberg both were. But with the dawn of the 1980s, super brushy expressionistic painting became hot again, and thus, so did Cy Twombly. Pieces of his, like 1962's Leda in the Swan, suddenly became so much more popular. And Twombly then grew to art god status. Leda, another work within the Museum of Modern Art's prodigious collection, is a lyrical abstraction referencing that old Greco-Roman myth wherein the god Jupiter seduces the human princess Leda. But this isn't like a Renaissance painting that represents the scene so traditionally. It's like an explosion of the myth, less about what it presents to us and more about how the story might make us feel. Like abstract expressionist pieces, it sometimes feels a bit casual or cast off like a bunch of doodles and scribbles. But like Abex too, it is an intricately planned work filled with small references to symbols of the myth itself. It's like it's Abex, but that it's been moved to the next level through its freedom of gesture. Of Twombly, the New York Times art critic Roberta Smith wisely once wrote, quote, The crux of his achievements was not so much to overturn Abex, but to connect Abex to other forms of culture. Unquote. I love that. He's linking it to classic literature and myth, and I couldn't agree more with that wonderful statement. Though we've talked about three key figures in modern art today, it's clear that the linchpin here is Rauschenberg. It's Rauschenberg whom Twombly and Johns both loved, but other than running around in that same small art world, sharing the same art dealer in Leo Castelli, and certainly being familiar with one another and each other's works, there didn't seem to be much of a friendship between Johns and Twombly. It was Rauschenberg whom they orbited. Rauschenberg, who formed the center for at least part of each man's life. What's both surprising, and also not surprising at all, is how little these men's personal relationships is mentioned in many traditional outlets. From gallery labels to exhibition catalogs to critical reviews, only a smattering here and there mentioned the love between Rauschenberg and Twombly, and then Rauschenberg and Johns. Or if any of the men are mentioned in the same breath, it's via these vague or potentially coded phrases, like calling them close friends. But these men were in homosexual relationships, 
And though they weren't out in the way that many people are today, they weren't necessarily hiding these facts either, at least not within those very closest in their circle. Again, this has a lot to do with the era in which these men's careers skyrocketed, and it is not a judgment upon them as individuals. But to me, denying the romantic relationships that Rauschenberg had with Twombly and Johns also minimizes the impact that they experienced in their careers, too, thanks to these partners. With Twombly, Rauschenberg grew, traveled the world, and edged closer to those history-making combines like Bed. With Johns, he found a challenging sounding board that pushed him into his most mature creative period. Together and apart, these three artists charted a course that bridges gaps between abstraction and pop, between painting and sculpture, between classical and the modern. They changed what a segment of American art looked like. And just as equally, they changed each other. Next time on Art Curious, we're featuring two photographers inspired, again, by surrealism. And let me tell you, I fell hard for one of these artists. And I cannot wait to share her works with you. That's coming up in two weeks. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. Huge thanks to Madison Jones for her writing and research help for this episode. The Art Curious theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki, podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, available on Apple, Spotify, or at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchor Light. Anchor Light is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchor Light encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support, and you can of course join us at Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee. Check back with us again soon as we explore some more of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful modern art lovers in art history. Thank you.